Our passage this morning is found in Psalm 122, which is on page 571 of your pew Bible. If you could turn there with me, please. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. As we, de as we decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, my name is Bruce Chimani. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm glad to get to look at Psalm 122 with you this morning. Now, in order to make it possible for everyone to, to come to church next week, we are planning a special No Excuse Sunday. <laughs> Here are some pointers uh, for you to consider if you're coming. Camping beds will be placed in the lobby for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep in. And uh, blankets will be available for those that say, you know, the building is too cold. Uh, and fans will be available for those that say it's too hot. And uh, scorecards, we'll have a couple of scorecards uh, if you wish to count the number of hypocrites that are attending. <laughs> Friends, these are words that are written by Anne Landers in a column in April 1991, where she said to paint a picture of what is called a no excuse Sunday. And while reading this can be funny, it can also be telling, right? Because for, for David, the, the psalmist here that we are reading from, and the people that would congregate with him to worship God, they would go to Jerusalem and for these guys, they didn't have any excuse. They would show up time and time again at a specific time with the same group of people to worship the Lord. They were so convinced that gathering with God's people was not only important because God commanded it, but they also knew something of the great benefits that come with spending time worshiping God together with his people. Now, friends, this morning I wonder if you yourself are convinced of the same. It's really important that as we gather here this week and next week and the week to come, it's important that we consider whether we are convinced that this is important. Because is it really important? Is it worth your while that you come here, the same room with the same people, sing a couple songs, hear the Bible taught, and go home, and come back over and over again? 
As we look at this text, friends, I pray that the, the Lord would help us not only answer that question, but also be convinced of the value of it. To have a deepened love for the gathered people of God. Now, Psalm 122 is the third in a group of psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. There are 15 of them from Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 134. And these are songs that the Jews would sing on their way to Jerusalem for the festivals. If they had Spotify, you could say this was their road trip playlist. These are the songs that they are singing on their way all the way to Mount Zion where Jerusalem was. And the first thing that we see is that David experiences this gladness and this joy at an invitation to go and gather with others. Look at verse 1 and consider with me a communal joy. I was glad when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. At the thought of going to the house of the Lord, the psalmist is glad. I wonder if you have been invited at some point to a concert or some event that at the thought of going to that event, you were also filled with joy. And I wonder if when we gather as God's people, that same joy and glad anticipation is a reality for you. Notice that he is personally glad, but the invitation is corporate in its nature. Let us go to the house of the Lord. And I want to mention real quick here just how important the ministry of invitation is. Do you know that 83%, researchers would say this, 83% of people that are invited to church or to gather with God's people actually come. But sadly, only 2% of Christians actually do it. So friends, do not hesitate at the opportunity to say, let us go. Let us go and gather with the people of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And this experience, friends, is personal in its nature, but it's also corporate in its nature. And David, because of that, is expressing gladness and joy. This is a happy occasion that I get to be with these people and worship our God. You will see as this psalm progresses that he's not just glad because he gets to worship God. He actually is also glad that he gets to be with the people of God. Since the beginning, friends, God has always had a people. And those people that belong to God have always belonged to one another. Since the beginning, in the beginning God had a people, it was Adam and Eve. They belonged to God. They worshiped God together. And when God calls Abraham, him and his descendants belonged to God. They worshiped God, but they also belonged to one another. And similarly, for those of us that have trusted Jesus, we don't only get a savior who saves us from our sin. We also get to belong to a group of people that worship him in turn. So the psalmist is glad because he gets to be with these people. This is a true communal experience that produces joy and makes him glad. 
Our feet have been standing, he says in verse 2, within your gates, or Jerusalem. So as these people are calling him and inviting him, let us go, let's go and gather, we naturally expect them to, to get there at some point, right? And I think at verse 2, they have arrived in Jerusalem. The psalmist and all these people are standing together in the gates of Jerusalem. Their pilgrimage has probably been long. It's been a hard journey. Who knows all the elements of the weather that they've wrestled with. But they get there. And they are together to worship their Lord. They finally arrive and they are standing within the gates of this great city that they love so much. Friends, the idea of standing together within the gates is important because God calls us to worship him together. So we stand together in Jerusalem, a communal experience. But as we continue reading this psalm, we see that not only is this a communal experience, it's also an experience in a specific place. We already have a hint of what this place is from verse 2, but it's expanded in verse 3 through 5. Look at verse 3 through 5 with me. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as decreed of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. A communal joy in a particular place. Consider with me Jerusalem then, or Jerusalem at that time. Whenever we see the mention of Jerusalem or Zion or Mount Zion or the house of the Lord in the Psalms or the Old Testament, we need to recognize how much loaded with meaning those words or those phrases are. Because it was in Jerusalem that God had installed his king. It's in Jerusalem that the Ark of the Covenant was brought before David uh, makes a covenant with God or God makes a covenant with David. It is in Jerusalem, it is in Zion, the city of David, that God dwelt on earth. It's in this place. Picture this for a second. While God was ruling and reigning from the heavens, his feet were in Zion, in Jerusalem, where his king was, where the temple was. Indeed, it is this place that the Israelites longed for. They longed to be in this place as they were in slavery in Egypt. This is the place that God meets his people. This is the place that God dwells together with his people. Consider with me for a second Jerusalem now. In other words, how do we as Christians on the other side of the cross understand Jerusalem? Well, we first have to note that Jerusalem is not literally in the Middle East for us. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem was a literal place on a map that you could go to, that you could find. But for us in the New Covenant, when we think about Jerusalem, when we read about Jerusalem in the Bible, it's not the same. When speaking of Jerusalem as Christians, we are not implying a need to go to Jerusalem because, frankly, 
those that haven't been there would be in disobedience to God. What makes the Christian religion unique from many other religions is that we don't need to go to one particular place to encounter God. We can encounter him anywhere. Friends, what makes literal Jerusalem insignificant for the Christian in a spiritual sense is there is no temple there. It was destroyed in A.D. 70. Of course, we can visit Jerusalem, should pray for Jerusalem, but it doesn't carry any spiritual salvific significance for us. In fact, physical Jerusalem, like many other things in the Old Testament, pointed to a greater reality. And friends, this is that reality. That it was fulfilled, or Jerusalem was fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Zion or Jerusalem was this place on earth where God dwelt and the humans would go and meet him, God had a better idea. He sent us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make a, a dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with who? With us. God with his people. What a great blessing. That God became flesh and he tabernacled or he dwelt among us. All that Jerusalem symbolized is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning any boy, any girl, any man, any woman can get to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We all have access to him through Christ. But thirdly, Jerusalem is foreshadowed in the local church. What Zion means is anticipated in the local church. Here is the logic. Jesus came, dwelled physically among his people. But today, where does Jesus dwell? He also dwells among his people still. <laughs> He's within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God individually, but the emphasis actually in the New Testament of this very idea is corporate in its nature. It is God's people that Paul calls in 1 Timothy the household of God. And if Jesus is the chief cornerstone, then you and I are like bricks in this household, making up what is called the house of God or the household of God. But friends, here is what's also amazing. We get a foretaste in the local church of what is to come in the new Jerusalem when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. So Jerusalem will ultimately come down from heaven to fill the earth. One day we know that the real and final Jerusalem will come down on the earth and this will be called New Jerusalem. And all things in this Jerusalem will be new. All relationships in this Jerusalem will be fixed. Everything will be fixed that was broken. Everything will be made right in this new city. 
So a bit of an understanding of what Jerusalem is before we understand how this psalm would apply to us. Now, I want you to note that the psalmist says Jerusalem was bound together. Other translators would actually say a better way to express this would be Jerusalem was a city united to itself. Architecturally, it was compact. There are no loose stones in the building. There are no leftover pieces of rock or brick. There are no gaps in the walls. But metaphorically, this was also socially true. The psalmist says that the tribes of the Lord would go up there. These tribes shared a common ancestry, but they were different tribes. Much like the people who worship the Lord today share the same spiritual ancestry, but are also different. What bound them was their worship of Yahweh. David is glad because he gets to be with these people to worship Yahweh. Their unity is around this great God that they worship together. This is not an exclusive club for one group of people or the other. They are very distinct tribes with a common ancestry and one God who ruled and reigned over them. And in our times, we have a lot of distinct tribes, don't we? We have all these social groupings of people that look like us, that think like us, that vote like us, that eat what we like to eat, and none of them are fans of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> it's very comfortable being around them because, I mean, they get it. It's comfortable. If you say something, they get it. They get us. They understand us. It's a very natural human comfortability. And it can be so tempting then to think that God's kingdom operates on the same premises. Friends, it does not. God's kingdom is made up of all kinds of different people. The global church in our time is made up of all kinds of different people, most of whom don't even speak the English language. 13 of whom today are going to be killed for their faith because of the country that they live in. If you could indulge me for a second, why don't you look at the people around you? If you could indulge me, look, look at the people around you. If you are a Christian, and those people are also Christians like you are, they are the tribes of the Lord that have come to gather and worship him with you. Now, I can promise you that they are not certainly perfect, just like you are not perfect. I can promise you they're probably from the same city, but they don't think like you do. They probably think one grocery store is better than the other, and you vehemently disagree with them. They probably homeschool their kids, and you and your family have prayerfully decided to send your kids to public school or a Christian private school. Some are young, some are old. But friends, these are all of God's people that are gathered in God's place to give praise to him. And this is what these tribes would come and do. Church, this is what we come to do when we gather every Sunday, week in, week out. 
It's a glorious occasion to fill up this room with different people coming from different places. Because if we are to be honest, there's probably nothing else that could bring all of us to the same room. But you know what does? Our great God, the one who has saved us. We can look each other in the eyes with all our differences and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. Because that's what the tribes do. They, they gather together, they worship this great God. This is a God who gathers the tribe together, the tribes together. See, God had decreed that the tribes would go up and gather and worship him during the feast and the festivals. So they gathered to give him thanks. See, this gathering of God's people is not something that we do simply because our parents said so or because our spouses said we should. We don't do it to just check off a box. We do it because it is God's desire that his people gather regularly. He calls us to not forsake the gathering of the saints. And friends, it has been like this since the beginning. Go and do a study. Read your Bible from beginning to the end. God has always been a God who gathers people around him. Verse 5 points to the fact that here in Jerusalem, God's people would gather knowing that God's king will be on his throne, setting forth judgment and administering justice to all of God's people. The Hebrews would hear what God thinks, not only about spiritual matters, but also about civic matters. They would hear how God views this matter or that matter. God's judgment and decrees were heard and they were adopted. And friends, when we gather together, we also primarily gather around these judgments of the Lord. We gather around his word. This is central to any Christian gathering. And for those that are new here, it's your first time, or you've been coming here for a couple weeks or a couple months, we are so glad that you're here. And we want to invite you into this community where God's judgments are heard. We want to actively hear what God has to say about this matter or that matter. And we want to prayerfully accept what he says. We want to pray that we bear fruit. We want to invite you into this community centered around the judgments of God. Lastly, friends, in verse 6 through 9, we see a communal joy that's not only in a particular place, but it actually results in peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he says in verse 6. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. If Jerusalem is indeed what we described it to be, if it is this compact gathering of God's people from all tribes, if it is the one place where God uniquely gathers with his people, then what we see through in verses 6 through 9, friends, is the most appropriate response 
And this is how the psalmist responds. He responds by offering a prayer for peace. Verses 6 through 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, what I found interesting here was that the psalmist has already said that Jerusalem was compact and that it was firmly built together. But in verse 6, he seems to be praying for its peace and its security. You see that? I think this is the point. It will be short-sighted for us to assume that simply because our local church is secure and united around Jesus, then we shouldn't pray for its peace. I think that will be short-sighted. In fact, this peace and security is something that we continue to labor for in prayer. Because we are in war. We have an enemy who wants nothing but for God's people to be divided. And so David prays and he asks that those who love Jerusalem would be secure. And he prays for Jerusalem. Have you loved your church by praying for her? Have you prayed for her peace? Have you prayed for that mom who sits close to you week in or week out? Or that old man who sits behind you who sings very loudly with his bassy voice? How about your growth group leader? Have you prayed for the peace of God's people that you gather with? So as peace reigns in Jerusalem, God's people are secure. This is what David prays. But what is this peace? In, in one sense, this peace is what every human being is looking for. One author says that this is the type of peace that gathers all the aspects of wholeness that result when God's will is completed in us. Friends, this is the type of peace that will bring you security. There is a lot of peace and security that comes with being a part of a local church. Think about this for a second. If Jerusalem was under attack from its enemies and they succumbed to their enemies, for these people, they wouldn't even literally have a physical place to meet up with God and gather with God's people. It'll be gone, it's decimated, it's unavailable. In fact, David's apparent gladness in verse 1 would be non-existent. There's nothing for David to be happy about because there's no house of the Lord for him to go. Friends, in the same way, we want the peace that culminates in security for our local church because without this peace, our churches are unhealthy. And if our churches are unhealthy, then we have no place to go to gather to hear from God and to gather with his people as God would want us to do. Tangible security comes from being a part of a local church. As God's peace reigns in all our hearts, we are actually able to experience God's grace through others. We are actually able to be held accountable 
if we are having some beliefs that are, you know, a little wonky, that needs a little tuning up with the Bible, somebody's able to say, hey, brother, where is that in the text? We're able to have people to love us and to care for us. What incredible security when Jerusalem has peace. When Jerusalem has peace, you are so loved that you have leaders praying specifically for you and watching over your soul. Or you have brothers and sisters that will help you to grow and to mature in your faith. You have people that will moan with you, that will celebrate with you. You have people that will be gracious to you when you fall or when you stumble. But you also have people that will not tolerate your sin, that will call you to repentance. Friends, this ought to bring us joy. This is a, this is a blessing. This is the security that comes with, in, with being a part of God's people. And this is a blessing that every follower of Jesus should rightly desire. So he prays for peace, but in verse 8, he makes a proclamation of peace. This was a common greeting in ancient Near East. Peace be within you, he says. They would greet one another and say, peace be with you. I want you to note the other-centeredness of this proclamation. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. The psalmist does not just want peace for himself. He wants peace for his brothers and sisters. Friends, this should not only be a prayer that we make, but a proclamation that we make to one another. Brother, I am praying and longing for peace in your life and in your family. Sister, I see all the work that you're doing reading the Bible with these girls, and I'm praying for gospel fruit and for peace with God as you read the Bible with these non-believers. We not only pray for peace, but we proclaim, peace be within you, peace be with you. What if our attitude was, it's not just about me, but it's also about them? When Michael Jordan was uh, playing in his freshman year at the University of North Carolina, his coaches say to have said to him, if you don't pass, you don't play. <laughs> I wonder what grace of God, what kindness of God, what love, what care, what concern you have passed. This is the kind of fruit, friends, that when God's people gather, is produced. In verse 9, we see a turn from just praying for peace or proclaiming peace to actually pursuing the good of the people in Jerusalem. The psalm begins with a joyous celebration, but it ends with a resolution, and this is the resolution of David. I will seek what is good for this place, in other words, it is such a joy and a blessing to gather with these people. I learn and I grow so much. I want to actively find ways to seek what is good for this place. And this is a nightmare 
for the one that comes to just consume. But I want to encourage you and say, we all have room and opportunity to grow here. We all can have our minds shifted. In fact, when the Israelites would gather for these festivals, God had instructed them to not come empty-handed. And for them it meant they would bring these animal, animal sacrifices for the temple. But in our case, when we gather, we bring a word of encouragement. We come and serve children and students. We want to look out for new people and introduce ourselves to them as awkward as, as that could be sometimes. We want to show them the ropes. We are seeking the good of Jerusalem. We want to make an effort to actually seek the good of all these people. Friends, what a beautiful picture of the type of peace and prosperity that we can experience when we commit and we gather together. God's people that are gathered in God's place enjoy God's peace together. God's people that are gathered in God's place enjoy God's peace together. Are you seeking God's peace? One of the natural ways that Christians experience this is through regularly gathering with his people around his word. Are you part of God's family? Congratulations, you have brothers and sisters now. You and me don't get to say, we love the father. We don't want his children. You and me don't get to say, I love Jesus. And I don't like his bride, the church. It's not how it works in this family. Because God's idea is that when his people gather in his place, they get to enjoy God's peace together. In the Our Daily Bread devotional for October 20th, 1996, Dave Brennan wrote, it was late winter in Kishnau, Moldova, a city near the Roman border in what was part of the Soviet Union. Uncle Charlie Vandermeer, who's the director of the Children's Bible Hour, was visiting the city to encourage Christian workers and to tell children about Jesus Christ. It was another cold Sunday in Kishinau. But this would not deter the Christians in this church. They turned out by force, 1,500 strong, to worship the Lord in a church that was built 10 years prior. According to Vandermeer, all those who attended had mostly walked there, some as far as three to four miles, some had taken public transportation. A lot of them had actually changed buses up to five times. They had an evening service, and these people would do it again. I wonder if we would go to church if we had to do that. The, the Christians in Moldova, like the people David writes about in Psalm 122, are willing to go great lengths to gather with God's people. They face many hardships and many obstacles. 
but with gladness and anticipation and dedication. They want to be with these people. It is a moment and occasion that brings them much, much joy. The invitation for you, my friends, this morning is that you'd commit to these people. You'd commit to gather with these people. That you'd commit to seek their good. And as we do so, that the Lord would fuel our joy week in and week out. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. And I pray that you would help us as we do so. Pray with me. Father in heaven, what a great privilege we have to gather as your people. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us from darkness into light. You've called us to yourself. But, Lord, you have also called us to a family. And thank you for the family of God's people. Help us to love her. Help us to cherish her. And help us to seek her good.